Today's episode of the Game Notes podcast is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts of GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen to gotomeeting.com backslash tips. That's gotomeeting.com backslash tips. Welcome to a double podcast special at The Athletic. This is Sam Amick, typically co-host of Tampering, and this is Tampering This Week. As always, this is also Game Notes, the Utah Jazz pod with our guy, our beat writer, Tony Jones, who is on the line today also with our national insider and reporting extraordinaire, Sham Sharania. Um, It's a little different flow this week for everybody. We're excited about it. The three of us here have spent the past couple of weeks Working pretty hard on a story that came out on Friday uh, at The Athletic and something that we wanted to dive deep into here to just tell a few stories about a moment that was about as memorable, unprecedented, transcendent as I can remember in the NBA and then the world at large is we are going to go back to the night of March 11th in Oklahoma City where uh, Rudy Gobert, jazz big man, becomes patient zero, so to speak, of the NBA, first player to test positive. And uh, and that's what our story was about. Uh, everything leading up to that moment, everything during that moment, a lot of the chaos that happened that had not been previously reported, and and what it means for hoops, what it means for the world. Uh, guys, excited to have you on here. I know it's a somber topic in terms of the pandemic that everybody is trying to find their way through, but um, we still kind of do what we do, right? And and this story was a pleasure to work on with both of you, Tony. I'll start with you. I feel like it's the hometown treatment. Because it's it's your team that was at the center of this. How the heck are you, brother? This was this was a crazy thing about a month ago. Yeah, I'm good. And um, you know, first first of all, uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, really appreciate uh, that. Um, you know, it was it was a really surreal moment for everybody involved. Um, you know, it was one of those moments where um, kind of everybody was 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 you know everybody involved was kind of freewheeling because it was so unprecedented. Uh, and I think that that was one of the um, that that was one of the things that we that was one of the points that we tried to hammer through uh, with with uh, our story. And, you know, it, it was just uh, it, it was, like you said, Sam, it was a moment that, you know, I don't think uh, many people will soon uh, forget. Uh, I think it's one of those uh, moments where everybody's going to kind of remember exactly where they were. Uh, at the time of it. Um, uh, so it's certainly going to go down um, in NBA history. Uh, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see uh, how, you know, things kind of rebound uh, from here. Shams, I want to make sure we bring you in here quickly, brother. Um, we all know where Tony was because he's covering the team that was front and center and in the middle of it all. Um, and, and like he said, this is one of those moments where none of us are going to forget where we were. Uh, first of all, thank you for joining us. Secondly, you know, where the heck were you? And, and, you know, do you remember the details of just that moment and, and how this kind of news, I mean, you broke the news about Rudy testing positive and 
your Twitter timeline is blowing up all the time anyway. Uh, I actually meant to go. I'm going to look here in a minute. I meant to see uh, how many retweets that bad boy had because that's that's a bigger than basketball story that you broke. Uh, where were you? And, and just kind of, you know, is it crazy to you like us that, that this was already a month ago? Yeah. First of all, great. Like like Tony said, great joining you on the podcast. You guys have just been unbelievable teammates through all this and just in period in general. Um, but, you know, Tony was at the arena. I was in Chicago. at a, I, was, I was at a gym actually trying to get a workout in. And um, this is, I think, close to 6.45, almost going on 7. And a couple hours, you know, two, three hours before uh, game time, I had actually gotten a heads up that Rudy and Emmanuel Moutier underwent the coronavirus test. And, you know, kind of like when Stephen Curry had it prior that, that prior weekend, you, know, you think it's just a precautionary thing. It'll come back negative and the NBA will resume play as, as they were going through the next day with no fans and everything was going to go on as life. You know, period. And I think around that same time when I learned that he underwent the test, Tom Hanks kind of announced uh, along with his wife that they had tested positive, which was the first reverberating thing that went on. Um, And then, you know, I got an alert. um, I got tipped off that, you know, that Rudy had tested positive. And it was around the same time that the players got sent back um, to the locker room and, you know, that's something, you know, when you, when you guys go into reporting about the NBA, you know, we think that we're going to report about a lot of things and we have all reported on a lot of things, but you don't think that you're going to be reporting on viruses of, of, you know, pandemic levels, epidemic levels. And so I knew the importance of that, of first of all, making sure that it's right. This isn't a normal injury. This isn't a trade. This isn't a transactional thing. And there are a lot of legal backgrounds, that we had a lot of hoops that we had to cross. So really the first thing I did when I heard it, um, when I confirmed it really, um, which took me about 20 minutes, 30 minutes uh, to really get a sense of this is real is I reached out to Sergio uh, Gonzalez, a great editor um, who has helped me a lot in terms of just pushing me the right path on a lot of things. But, you know, after reaching out to him, we kind of set, set everything in motion in terms of the reporting of this and jumping through all the legal hoops. So that night, you know, I left the gym immediately and, and I knew it was going to be a long night, a long, you know, we were all going to go in. Like, I knew the ramifications of this until, you know, like no one was prepared for this. No one was equipped for this. And when you're not equipped for anything, when, when the league as a whole wasn't equipped on how to handle this, which, you know, we tell in the story, um, there was no protocol um, you know, you just pause and that's exactly what happened for the, for the world. No, absolutely. And you gave me plenty of time there to, to get, look that number up 25,000 plus retweets. And that's not, I don't share that for any other reason, but to obviously underscore the gravity of it all. And the fact that uh, news like that goes well beyond NBA fans, you know, that was something that had a ripple effect on society at large. It was the moment when everybody took notice even more so than before about the severity of it. And, and I mean, just the, the mere idea that we needed to take some pretty drastic measures to try to flatten the curve and, and get the world healthy again. Um, so that obviously guys, that was that night. And so Shams's tweet goes out at six twenty seven PM Pacific time. Um, but a lot happened before then a lot happened after then I'm going to throw it to Tony this way, because when it comes to reporting a story like this, you know how this goes, you know, especially you, Tony, cause you were there, you lived it. You wrote stuff that night. You wrote stuff in the days afterwards. Uh, you knew a lot of the story, but then 
you know, one of the luxuries of being at the athletic, I know it sounds like a commercial, but it's true is that, that, you know, we'll take the time and have the luxury of going back and, and doing even more reporting. And that was kind of the challenge here. Um, Tony, in the process of doing this piece, um, you know, where did you begin? I know you and Sham started on this before I was even part of the project. Where did you begin? And, and, and also what stands out to you most, uh, things that you learned and things that you found most interesting that you didn't know, even though you had lived it? The first thing, the, the, the biggest difficulty of, of uh, this story for me was um, so much of what happened to me that night did not happen to me as a reporter um, and would not have happened to me. It would not have happened if I was a reporter. So, you know, I was in the jazz locker room um, and, um, you know, that's where I received my, my coronavirus test. And in the midst of that, Quinn Snyder walks in and he says, yeah, well, you know, the biggest challenge that we're having right now, we, you know, we, we've got to get an effing plane out of here and we got to find an effing pilot to fly the plane. And, you know, we got to, you know, we got to find a smart pilot that we, we figure out that, um, you know, all of us are not Rudy. And, you know, it's the kind of, so that was the kind of reporting that, um, you know, while we were, uh, doing the, the, the official reporting from the story, we, uh, I had to go back and double and say, okay, um, is this okay that, that, you know, we used in this story. So a lot of the stuff that uh, some of the stuff that, you know, we had in the story, I had to double back and, and, you know, go through the proper channels and, and, you know, and make sure that this was, was confirmed to be okay to actually put it in as a, as, as a reporter. So that was a challenge. Um, you know, the, the balance between, um, you know, being a, a citizen and being a, a journalist, uh, on that night was probably the greatest challenge, um, that I've ever had. Um, because, you know, the first, um, the first inclination is to report on the story, uh, as it happens, the second inclination is, oh my gosh, um, I might have the coronavirus because I, I've, I've been exposed. So, you know, that, that part was challenging as well. Um, as far as, um, the story itself, you know, it was, it was, it was challenging to report because it, there were so many layers that we had to, to figure out, um, that we had to get right. Um, you know, just the little details, the little nuance, um, you know, going through, you know, every, every part of, of, you know, the, the reporting process and every part of the story that we ended up going through, um, you know, going back to, to the players and, you know, talking to the players about this, you know, uh, on or off the record, um, you know, talking to the, the executives involved, um, you know, the, the background that we were able to accrue, uh, for, for, for what, what ended up being a finished product. So, you know, it was a long and arduous and, and, and tedious process. Um, you know, I think, the, the best part is that, you know, I think all of us uniquely bought something different uh, to the reporting process. Um, you know, uh, you know, Shams obviously used, you know, his his uh, his tremendous sourcing. Um, Sam, you used your tremendous sourcing. And, you know, I was able to scrape a few things together as well. So, you know, I think that, you know, just all three of us being able to to hit different 
hit on different areas uh, in into uh, to pull the uh, the information together and and to pull the story together. I think that that's what's what makes this story the most unique. Shams, give me your breakdown, brother. I think because one of the things that always happens in this business is when a, a big moment happens and uh, you report on it that night and it's chaotic. But most of the time, you know, you, it's it's on to the next, right? Like you you just the the league keeps going, the games keep coming. And you don't necessarily take the time to go hit the rewind button like we did and go backwards. And so, again, like Tony, like me, like you knew a lot from that night how this went down. And uh, but then once you slowed down, once you started making more calls, talking to people, um, you know, what what are your takeaways? Even even if you put your reader hat on, like if you're reading this story as if you didn't write it, you know, what what jumped out to you the most in terms of uh, just what what you found most revelatory? I think just how in the dark everyone was about coronavirus and not about the pandemic itself and not about what it meant, but just the veracity of it and how far reaching it would be. Like just to think about the timing, right? Like late Friday, the NBA, you know, sends a memo to all its teams saying like prepare in the case that we play without fans. So to go from that to a few days later, you know, we're not playing with fans as of Wednesday morning, you know, on, on Thursday in NCAA basketball, you know, the tournament, no fans. Like, those were both big deals. Those were both landmark moments. Those moments by themselves in isolated situations would have been landmark, like, we've never seen in professional sports. And so to go from that extreme to, like, everything gets shut down and we have, you know, quote-unquote patient zero in the NBA that basically shut down the league, that shut down all the other leagues, that shut down the country in the days and, and weeks to follow. I think really just how in the dark everyone was about how far reaching this would become. And, um, you know, kind of like how Tony said, I think that we all brought something very, very unique. You know, that night was really when me and uh, Sergio first started talking about doing a TikTok. I, I, I knew, you know, that's what we, we do. You know, we try to bring le- readers behind the scenes on things. And I, I told them like, this is going to be, this is going to be that, like, I think we're going to have enough information. I knew that night I had in, enough information if I wanted to do like a TikTok on that week and just that week. Right. And that's not even involving Tony, not involving you, but you know, through Sergio's and that's why, you know, I, I give him the amount of credit that I do. He's got, such a lens for the big picture and um he knew you know obviously tony being on the ground level what he was able to bring from the week two weeks prior to that to week after that um you know he, he brought a great perspective the, the amount of a first person accounting that you were able to do was tremendous and i think we all you know brought so many different elements to it and i'm just proud that we were able to get it across because it's not easy when we all have different information to kind of piece the puzzle together like that no for sure i mean it's tricky uh and, and even as long as i've done this like and i enjoy it but the collaboration process is inexact science type stuff you know you're in a, a google doc with everybody moving in the same space um and, and i you know again appreciated you guys throughout the process too for me guys um you know first of all as you know my involvement ended up being somewhat accidental we had joe ingles on the podcast a couple weeks ago and next thing you know you know and the intent was not necessarily you know, to to go down memory lane as much as he did, but he shares a bunch of perspective that ultimately makes its way into the story. And, and that was an interview here on the tampering pod. Um, but then once, you know, once I learned a few things about Quinn Snyder in particular, uh, for me, that's where my curiosity got really peaked. And, and, you know, and I kind of want to get your guys two cents on this too, because 
the whole world had a very strong opinion about that moment where Rudy Gobert touched the microphones on uh, March 10th, I believe it was. No, March 9th, I'm sorry. The shoot-around before the Jazz uh, play Toronto at home. And, and at that time, you already have media rules in place where players have to be farther away from reporters. That's why Rudy was distanced from the media crowd at that shoot-around session. Uh, he gets up and, you know, call it foolishly, call it recklessly or irresponsibly, touches the microphones, and it becomes, after the fact, like that's why he's the poster boy, not only because he got the positive test, but because the optics were so bad. Um, what I learned and what we learned that that certainly illuminated, you know, even more of the situation and well beyond Rudy was that Quinn was very much the opposite from an attitude standpoint on the coronavirus. He grew up in Seattle, uh, just east of Seattle, Mercer Island. His father was an athletic director at the high school there for a long time, deep Seattle roots. And as this coronavirus kept spreading, uh, he basically just kept getting more and more worried, reading the headlines, talking to people back home. And his radar was up in a major, major way for how serious this was. Um, and next thing you know, he's implementing certain things with the team, even ahead of the NBA's curve. And this obviously is all in the story. But around March 1st is when the NBA first started telling teams to uh, talk to their players about the coronavirus. Well, back on February 25th, Quinn was addressing the team at practice to talk about it. Um, and that contrast, um, I found very fascinating because it's a tough one, right? Because Quinn and, and a lot of people, Dennis Lindsay, Justin Zanuck, David Morway, all of them, they, I, I think, by and large, um, were all over this situation. They were responsible. They were educating their players. And then, unfortunately, you have this moment where the messaging could not be any more different, right? And it's not good messaging. It sends the, the wrong kind of attitude about the problem, uh, and then it just so happens to be the guy that got the positive test. But the Quinn role in this story, uh, I enjoyed writing about. He was, you know, roundly lauded by jazz people and even thunder people as a real leader in this situation. Um, he, quick side story that you guys are aware of. Uh, got a kick out of learning that Quinn and his, his brother, Matt, who lives in Seattle, has a specialty food shop in the middle of the uh, Pike Place Market. And he's very good friends with the longtime bassist of Pearl Jam. And uh, I got to give a little assist and shout out to Bill Simmons on his podcast, had Pearl Jam on recently. Um, and I had already heard this Pearl Jam little anecdote. And lo and behold, um, the bassist actually mentioned it in passing on the podcast. Just all he said is that he had some friendships with the jazz and that they had been talking a little bit during this process. And even that concept I thought was so interesting. Here's Pearl Jam, a legendary band for decades trying to figure out if it needs to cancel its concert tour. They had a North American tour coming up um, that they had to decide on Adam Sandler right around the same time is deciding what to do with his tour. You know, the NBA wasn't the only one making these tough decisions. And in moments like these, you see, you know, these big entities, uh, you know, coordinating, communicating. And so for me, that was probably the most interesting part of the whole piece. Uh, but, but there's so much more from there, Tony, um, where do you think I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to jump ahead a little bit here because we do want in a moment to talk about, you know, what's next league wide, what's next, you know, in ways beyond the jazz. And uh, but when it comes to the team dynamics themselves, you know, we got to ask you about the basketball subplot here of Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. And that is something we address in the story. And to give the quick recap, you know, Donovan obviously also tested positive after the fact 
the morning after they get those results. Um, it's not a secret that by this point, he's been very frustrated with Rudy and the part that he played in this whole saga. And our reporting is that there's no indication whatsoever that, that, you know, those fences have been mended at all. Uh, what is your, your kind of updated perspective on the possible fallout with those two guys? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's something that, you know, to me, I mean, you know, those two guys are going to have to eventually, um, you know, get together and, and have conversations and, and talk it out. And, you know, whether it's a hard conversation, you know, or a hard couple of conversations or a hard series of conversations, um, you know, if, if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. Um, you know, this is what the jazz feel. And, you know, some of that, some of this is in the story, but you know, this is the way the jazz feel. They, they, if, if Donovan go, if Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert um, stay at the level of basketball player that they are right now today, um, the Jazz can win 50 games a year. They can be the fourth or fifth seed in the Western Conference every year. Um, you know, every other year they might have a chance to make the Western Conference Finals. Um, you know, but they're not at the level of where they where they want to be, which is at a championship level. For for the Jazz to reach a championship level, this front office knows that Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert have to not only be on the same page, um, but they have both of their both of their games have to be at a a, a better level than it is now. Um, so, you know. They're committed to, to, to this core. Uh, the Jazz themselves, they're committed to this core. There's no indication for me that, you know, they're, they're at a point where they're, they're trying to choose um, between Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. Um, but at the same time, I mean, the front office knows that there's an issue. And the front office knows that um, there's a significant issue. Um, you know, so it's one of those things where I think – um, over the course of time, um, you know, the hope is that cooler heads prevail. And over the course of time, you know, teammates start talking. Uh, and when I say teammates, uh, I mean Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert in this, in this situation. Um, I think a lot of the, the rest of the team has, has kind of, you know, uh, mentally and emotionally moved on. Uh, from from the raw emotion of of that night and and from the days um, uh, that preceded that, um, you know. But you know, those two have to to you know, for for lack of a better term, they just have to work it out, um, you know. And I think that uh, it, it's something that uh, there's optimism that that it can be worked out, especially. Um, because n nobody knows when we're going to see NBA basketball again. It might be in, in June. It might be in August. It might not be until next season. Um, you know, so there, there's a time element here um, that's to me, is, is kind of on the Jazz's side um, because it's not like they're going to have to go and play figure out how to play basketball next week and be teammates again next week. Um, you know, so this isn't a matter of, of days or weeks. To me, this is a matter of months. Uh, but, but it does have to happen. Uh, and if it has to happen via, uh, some hard conversations, then, then that's, that's what has to happen. Good perspective tone, you know, on the ground from Salt Lake city. Uh, and that's the beauty of having you on here and having Shams on here too, is Shams. I, I would love to hear your take on the same topic, but with the obvious 
kind of different framing, which is that, you know, Tony's dealing with the jazz folks all the time and can take a pulse there. You and I both know that, all right, there's 29 other teams with 29 other views of the Donovan Rudy situation. And this, I think potentially becomes once basketball is up and running again, um, uh, one of those deals where the, the sharks kind of start circling and figuring out, are the jazz going to stick with it? Are they going to do something here? What's your read on this situation between these two guys? Yeah, I think Tony did a great job breaking it down. I think overall, the, the theme just is that you know, there, there were some underlying issues in those two guys going into this. And um, this whole situation, I think, moved, you know, moved it to a different place. And, you know, there's a quote in there that this doesn't appear salvageable. Um, I, I think you got to obviously add the caveat of right now. I think that, you know, the Jazz have definitely started to try to get these guys on the phone. And, and um, you know, but both of them, from everything I've been told, is Donovan Mitchell has been very focused on his own situation right now on getting, first of all, getting healthy, getting through that quarantine. And just, you know, he's isolated himself, um, you know, with his with his mom um, on the East Coast. And, you know, he, that that's, you know, as I report in the story, and, you know, I don't, you know, I don't think this has been really shared out there, is that he went home, in, in the immediate aftermath of testing positive for a coronavirus, um, you know, the entire team went back to Utah and, um, and, and, you know, Rudy Gobert caught a flight to Utah the next day, a private flight. And instead Donovan Mitchell goes, uh, to the East coast. And I think that that for him meant he wanted to be close to his family and be with his mom and everything like that. But overall, I think that, um, you know, I think the Jazz are in for you know a tricky situation here and trying to ba- balance this out and see if these guys can can reach a common ground. Yeah, and like Tony said too, the time is on their side. There's a complete uncertainty, obviously, about when they might actually share a locker room again. So they can kick the can down the road for a while, and, and we'll certainly keep monitoring that situation, guys. Uh, I know we want to pivot to the league at large and and bring the scope of this conversation a little wider here, uh, and so. Quick thank you for the Take Notes listeners uh, for this portion of the pod. If you want to hear the rest of it, uh, check in with the Tampering Podcast in a couple of days here. Uh, I think either Sunday night or Monday morning. That should be live, and and you can enjoy the rest of the, the chat between these three guys.